John chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, one of the black hardback Bibles in the seat back in front of you is the standard that I am reading from, the version uh, that I'm reading from, and we're on page 886, if, I am, if I've written that down correctly, uh, for that black hardback Bible, John chapter 1. This is going to be our first attempt at verses 1 through 18. Uh, if you're new, we um, are memorizing John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18 together as a congregation as we are studying the book of John. And this will be our first time that we are trying to do all 18 verses and the second week in a row that that alarm has gone off at this exact time. I don't, I just, like, I'm, I'm realizing that. Um, it's not your alarm? Okay. Well... All right, so John chapter 1. Now, I admit to you, I've got like first verses 14 through 14 down. I don't have the last four yet, and so that's okay. Um, it's a lot harder, as you know. The more you get, to get them going, I get different verses transposed, and there's some confusion there. And I've also learned uh, that I practice it a lot faster than we read it, and therefore, sometimes I tend to mess us up. So, uh, we'll do my best not to make that happen. And so I will read more than I need to just because you get up here in front of everybody and try to do it and see how nervous you get, right? So John chapter 1, let's read. If you, don't have, if you don't have it memorized, then read along with us. But either way, together as a congregation, let's quote John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18 together. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Amen. Amen. This verse is, yeah, we can, we can applaud that. All right. Y'all sounded awesome. Uh, so these verses right here uh, in the middle, let's look at verse 10. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. 
He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of the blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. This phrase, that he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. I've mentioned one of the reasons why we're memorizing these first 18 verses is because they are giving us a, a snapshot of every, not every, but the major themes that are throughout the Gospel of John. So if you turn with me to John chapter 12, which is our text, John chapter 12, our text for today, is unpacking that phrase. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. And we're going to talk about unbelief, the unbelief that was characterized by his own people, and those who did believe, um, potentially falsely, and then those who believed fully. So the idea of belief is a theme. I mentioned just a moment ago, wrongly, I mentioned uh, that there are 55 uses of belief in God in the Gospel of John. I was wrong. It's 55 up to this point. There are 98 total in the Gospel of John. I got the number wrong. It's 55 up to this point in our study. There's been 50-something times where we have looked at this challenge to believe in God. Now, I don't want to read all of them, but I want to just follow along with me as I just say a couple of them because I want us to get the idea that belief in Jesus is the whole uh, challenge that John is giving his readers as it should be the challenge that we are receiving. Do you believe in Jesus as well? We've quoted a couple of these verses, but John 1, 7, he came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might what? Believe through him. Verse 12, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. John 1.50, Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things. John 2.22, when therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken about himself. Verse 23, the very next verse. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. John 2, 24, the very next verse. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them. And it's this, actually, it's the same Greek word for belief. That he did not believe himself into them, meaning he did not allow uh, the belief to take place in some, uh, which is an interesting text, because of their misunderstanding of belief, which we're going to unpack a little bit even in today's text. Continuing on, just to give some examples, if you want to follow along, John 3, verse 12. If I have told you earthly things and you did not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? It says in John three fifteen that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Again, in verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish and have eternal life. Do I need to continue to read all 98 references that I have in front of me in order for you to get the point that the challenge is for us to believe in God? The challenge is specifically even for us to believe in Jesus. And so as we come to our text in John chapter 12, I want to read it beginning in verse 41. John 12, 41, and it's this question of belief and unbelief and how people responded to Jesus, which would obviously challenge us with the question, how might you respond to Jesus? John 12, 41, our text. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Nevertheless, many, 
even of the authorities, believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. We're going to pause there because this is um, probably one of the only sermons in this series where we're really going to try to unpack just these two verses. Because it is really the only time in John where we're seeing a picture of unbelief and the characteristics of unbelief and the characteristics of potentially false belief within an entire book that is all about believing in Jesus. It sounds encouraging at first when you look at verse 42. What we haven't read up to this point, if you want to just look back, we're not going to read it, but beginning in around verse 36 and following, it talks about how the people of God, in reference to Israel and the Jewish people, did not believe in Jesus. That he came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But all who did receive him, who were given the right, who believed in him, and were given the right to become children of God. You see, he's already in the very first chapter giving foreshadow that there are going to be some, his own people, who would not accept him and receive him. And that's what we read prior to verse 41. And he's quoting Isaiah and what he would say about Israel in their unbelief. And then we get to our verse again in verse 41. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Nevertheless, despite the fact that there were many of Israel and many of God's people who did not receive him, nevertheless, verse 42 says, many even of the authorities did believe in him. This is good. This is encouraging. There are those who did believe in him. Wonderful. But for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, meaning they kept it secret. They didn't tell anybody about it. Why? So that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. See, verse 42 starts with something that sounds encouraging. There were many within the authorities in the Jewish people who did believe, but because they valued the glory or the praise of man more than the praise of God, they kept it secret. Now, just with that text along, I've got the question, okay, is this true belief? Is this false belief? What's happening here? Recognizing the whole gospel of John is challenging us to believe, and this text says they did believe. But it doesn't necessarily talk about that as a good thing. And so it challenges us to really make sure we evaluate our belief well. There are three questions that I want to ask that the, actually the text that follows is going to answer to help us understand is what John's saying about the belief that they kept secret. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? And spoiler alert, it's a bad thing. And the, what John's going to go on to say, or specifically what Jesus is going to go on to say, shows that it is negative. And so let's pick it up in verse 44, John 12, 44. And Jesus cried out and said, whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. 
For I have not spoken of my own authority, but the Father who sent me, he has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. The three questions I put in front of you, which is why I don't have a PowerPoint, because I figured when we get to the one fill in the blank at the end, y'all can handle it without it being on the screen. But here are the three questions that are going to kind of guide the sermon today. Is what does belief demand of us? Does belief demand something from us? Or is belief, as we see it in John, simply an intellectual assent to an idea? What do I mean by an intellectual assent to an idea? It just means that we recognize with our mind that we think something's true and we ascend to believe or defend that idea as a truth. But what we're going to see about belief is belief is not just understanding or thinking about something, but it affects and demands something from us. When we look at the religious leaders in our text of verse 42 and following who believed in Jesus, using the word believe there, but out of fear of the Pharisees and that they might get pushed out of their positions, they might get pushed out of the community, they decided, you know what, I'm actually going to keep the fact that I do think Jesus is God to myself, and I'm not going to tell anybody about it. I'm going to keep it quiet. I'm going to keep it to myself. I'm going to make sure that my belief in Jesus doesn't cost me anything. I'm going to make sure that it's just something I think is right, but I'm not going to allow it to change anything in my life or affect anything in my life. And this is where Jesus would challenge. But what does belief demand of us? He gives the answer in verse 46. Jesus does. So keep in mind that this is the idea that they love the glory of man more than the glory of God. And is Jesus okay with that? No. Because Jesus, as gracious and kind as he is, he is God. And he's not going to allow his glory to go to anyone else, nor should he. He is God. He is king. He is Lord. And here's what he says in verse 46. I have come into the world as the light. We've heard this in our memory verses. I've come into the world as the light. So that what? Whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. He's saying, hey, I've come as the light to shine light in your life in darkness but I love you where you are, but I love you too much to leave you where you are. He's saying, if you believe in me, it's going to demand a change of everything in your life, ultimately from darkness into light. He's saying, I am the light, and yes, I'm coming as the light, and if I shine light into your life and you believe in me, you must not remain where you are in darkness. And you must recognize that belief in me is not just your mind going, I say this is true, but it's your life going, because I believe it's truth, it will demand of my life to follow this truth. There's a big difference when we think about what we say to be true and what we believe to be true. What we say to be true is just what we believe. I'm using the words difficult here, so let me try to say this without using the word belief. What we say to be true is just something that is purely in our mind. But if we believe it to be true, it will change our actions. Uh, we can pick a simple example. Uh, a simple example. I say that that chair will hold me up. But if I don't actually believe that chair will hold me up, do you think I'm going to go sit in it? 
all right? Forget the chair. The time I went bungee jumping, all right? The, or, hey, I have confidence in science. I have confidence that you say this will hold up to 5,000 pounds as a rope and yada, yada, or whatever. I think you're true, but it, my think becomes a belief when I step off the edge, right? Believing that it's going to hold me, which it did, uh, in case you're wondering, <laughs> here, the belief is realized in a step off the edge. And here is why, where when they say in the text, they believed in him, but they did not confess it. They're saying, I think you're God, but I'm not, God, I'm not so confident. I'm not willing to step off the edge and let anybody know that I think it. And for, why? Because the cost on their life was de- too demanding of them. And so it, I want to be clear. And I think Jesus being clear. And I think all of Scripture is being clear. For us to say that we believe in Jesus, it demands a response with our life. Ultimately, it demands a new life. This is the uh, poetic imagery or illustration that Jesus is saying from darkness to light. There is a transformation that happens in your life that when you put belief in Jesus. It demands a different value structure. It, It requires us to think and feel about things differently and put different importance on different things because of the fact that Jesus is King and Lord and He is our Savior. It's a call to surrender our lives and that comes with values that are in our lives. It demands of us our community and social structures. What do you mean by that? Well, for these gentlemen in the text... They still wanted their power, and they thought, well, if I confess Jesus as Lord, I may lose out in maybe friends that are around me, or the social ideas or positions that I get to be a part of. It may cost me something in this world, and I'm not sure that it's worth it. I believe, but we're going to keep it secret, to which I would say you don't really believe. Because you're not willing to step off the edge and step into the things that God demands of you, with that belief. It changes our lifestyle. It changes things in our life. So I ask you the question, do you believe in Jesus? And really what I'm asking is not do you think intellectually that he is king, but do you with your life, are you willing to stop, step off the edge and follow him in obedience in his word and be willing to allow him to transform your life? To be willing to allow him to shine light into the darkness parts of our life. Love us there in that moment. This is the beauty of Jesus. Jesus doesn't say, hey, you got to leave darkness for me to love you. But instead, I'm going to meet you in that darkness. I'm going to love you in that darkness. I'm going to shine my grace on you in that darkness. But because I love you so much, I'm also going to pull you out of that darkness. When we put our trust in Jesus, what does belief demand of us? It doesn't just demand our intellect. It demands our entire lives. And so the question is, do you believe in Jesus? Really, I'm not asking what you think with your mind. I'm asking what you're doing with your feet and your hands. I'm asking what we're doing with our lives. And this is the challenge of the text because as John's been talking about belief, 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 you got some leaders who go, I believe. And John's going, do you really though? Jesus would go, do you really, though? Because if you did, you would not stay in darkness, but you would allow to confess Jesus and follow him no matter what it would demand of you and no matter what the cost would be made. Second question, is it a valid demand? The demands 
to change everything, is that valid? Let me define what I mean by valid. Is it the... um, Let me explain it this way. I'm using the word valid. Um, Recently, I read a book called Good Arguments. You know, um, I, I like reading books on arguments. Not like arguments like, you know, that you might get with your brother or sister. You know, argument. That's not what I mean by arguments. I mean by just being able to give a point and defend that point like you would if you're writing a research paper or something like that. And a valid argument is one that is not necessarily true, but one that is structured appropriately, meaning that you're at least giving good sources and defense for what you're arguing, whether it's true or not. Because there's a difference between a valid argument and a truthful argument. And what I'm saying is, is it a valid demand? Meaning that Jesus says, put your faith in me, is, that, is it defended in such a way that it should convince the Jewish leaders that Jesus is Lord? Let me explain with the text, and maybe you'll understand a little bit more what I'm saying. Because Jesus recognizes that for them, they have authority structures within their culture. And part of their authority structures are partly the Pharisees. That's why they didn't want the Pharisees to shun them. Other part of the authority structure is that, that God the Father was the ultimate authority. So notice what Jesus says in verse 44. And Jesus cried out and said to them, Whoever believes in me believes not just in me, but him who sent me. So he's beginning to base belief in him on a greater authority in the sense of the Father. Now we understand and believe that Jesus is God. That we, under, we in the Christian faith believe that God is one, but three in persons. Can't explain it, don't understand it, our minds are too small for it. But Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are three persons, one God, triune God. And Jesus is here saying that to believe in me is also to believe in the Father. Well, for them, the Father is everything. They, don't quite, they aren't quite convinced that Jesus is God. So Jesus, he could just be any other person that showed up on the scene and said, I'm God. We've seen people in our culture try to do that. right? That's insufficient. That's a bad argument. It's a bad demand. If you just show up and say, I'm God, what proof do you have? Well, Jesus is beginning to those who are not willing to step out in complete belief in Jesus. He's beginning to give a valid, authoritative defense of why what he's saying is true based off the authority structures in the Jewish custom. Well, we're not Jews, so why does their authority structures matter to us? The point is is that Jesus is giving a great defense to why he is God and why we can't trust them. And Scripture, not just in this text, but in other texts, we as Christians can go, Jesus makes a faithful claim to why we can't trust him. That's the whole point of, is it a valid demand? But let's keep reading. Verse 44, and he cried out, whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. Whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. Um, uh, and Jesus said, whoever believes in me believes not in me. I I'm, I'm got lost. Verse 47. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on that last day. Why? Because I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me this commandment. What you say, what to say, and what to speak. I know the commandment that has been given to me. I know this seems like a simple argument for us. 
Because once again, we don't have the same authority structures in the same way that the Jewish first century audience did. So the point doesn't hit at quite, maybe quite as strong at home. But here's the idea with this question. Is it a valid demand? Meaning, when Jesus demands our life in return for belief in him, is it worth it? Here's, here's the, let me give the illustration because this is really what they were asking. Um, my wife and I, this morning we were in Manhattan and we were driving home and we were having a conversation about there's so many restaurants in Manhattan. There's so many restaurants in New York City, Queens, pick a borough, pick a, pick a community. There's so many different restaurants. To which for us, we said it would be so cool if we could just like once a month just take a train get off somewhere in Manhattan and just walk around until we found a good restaurant. Just, to dis- just discovery. Go discover a new restaurant. Well, immediately I started thinking, but what if the restaurant is no good? Like, like what if I walk into a bad restaurant, spend my money, and I go, that was a complete waste of my money. Like, that was just no good. Right? And so what do we do? We, we go to Yelp. Or we ask for recommendations. And we ask people maybe that we know in the community What are we doing? We're beginning to vouch the validity of the claim that every restaurant thinks they're the best. How many restaurants have you seen the best coffee in town or the best, like everybody thinks they're the best, right? Whatever. So restaurants go, are selling you goods. Well, we're asking the question, are those goods worth it? What do you got to convince me that the claim you're saying is true? And so we check Yelp and we check Google reviews and I'm looking at all these things, really asking the question, hey, this restaurant's demanding my money if I walk in. Is that demand a valid, like, can I trust that I'm going to get out of it what I'm putting into it? And so what do I do is I'm checking, looking for validity that's going to convince me that what is being demanded of me is worth it. Because here's the thing, you go in and you commit to paying for that food before you get to taste that food. Do you understand the illustration? So there's this, there's this step of faith that takes place of going, you know, the, like, it's going to cost. Because we also know every restaurant in Manhattan is going to cost you like half your paycheck. So if you're doing this, like, like you're committed, right? But what am I doing? I'm looking for someone to confirm and convince me that what I'm about to pay for, I'm going to be glad I paid for it. This is what Jesus is doing when he's saying, hey, you're not just believing in me and don't just believe in my words, but my words are coming straight from the Father and you trust him. Hey, I'm not sounding sacrilegious here. I'm just trying to make a point. He's saying, I've got the best Google reviews in town. Like He's saying, I've got the Father saying, you can trust me. And so what he's doing, he's validating his authority and his argument. And here's what I want to say to you. I'm not saying we're, I don't at all believe that my belief in Jesus is a gamble. I don't. Not in the same way when I sit down in a restaurant and go, yeah, let me buy that and we'll see if it's worth the money later on. I don't at all think belief in Jesus is a gamble. But I will say, you and I won't fully know that it's worth it until we get to the other side of this life. And what John is challenging us, what Jesus is challenging us with is you can trust me that it's worth it. It's the reason why John is writing the Gospel of John. Not only in this text, but he's, he's saying, I'm giving you these signs so that what you may believe. I'm trying to prove to you 
the signs are like all these abundant Google reviews in a sense of like, I'm trying to prove to you what Jesus is saying, that he is Lord and that you believe in him as eternal life. It's absolutely worth it. Look at all that he has done. No one else making this claim has this type of argument or proof that he is God. And so as we study the Gospel of John, Jesus isn't just showing up and saying, saying, believe in me. He is expressing over and over and over again that he is God. It's what the beauty of the Gospels are. And so I want us to see that Jesus is demanding belief in him our entire lives. But we can step out in that demand trusting that it has been valid and is a valid demand and then validated by Jesus himself and the authority that he has by demonstrating that authority over storms and over healing and over raising Lazarus from the dead and over him and himself being raised from the dead. So when I ask the question, is it a valid demand, meaning is it, can we have confidence that what Jesus is asking of us to give him his lives, we can have confidence when we walk to use the illustration, we can walk into a restaurant going, yeah, this is totally going to be worth it. I got a few of those, by the way. If you want, you want my list, I got a few of those. It's worth your money. Like you, I got complete confidence. You walk in, you're going to be glad you spent your money there. Once again, not trying to equate Jesus to a restaurant, but in the same way of confidence, what the Gospels have done and belief in Jesus has done is it is a valid, and I encourage you, as John would encourage you, You can have so much confidence in Jesus. Last question. Is the cost in believing in Jesus worth it? At the end of every meal, you're going to pay it and you're going to walk out. Was that worth my money? You now are going to get to answer the question based off the meal. This This is the question that's being asked. Is the cost in believing in Jesus worth it? Because here's... The people in our story, the religious leaders in our story who believed in Jesus, but out of fear of losing the glory and praise of man, kept that belief quiet and did not tell anybody what they would say is believing in Jesus is not worth it. Not worth it. Nope. It might cost me too much, and it's not worth it. And here's what we want to say. Is I so believe, and this is the argument John's making, as well as all of Scripture, Jesus and believing in him will cost you your life. It might. And for many Christians around the world, it will literally cost them their lives. Eleven of the twelve disciples cost them their lives. John is the only one who lived into his old life, but then even he died as an exile on an island because they tried to kill him. And for some reason, he just wouldn't die. So they said, all right, well, we're just going to put you out here on this island where nobody can hear you and you can no longer preach to anybody. So he said, fine, I'll just write Revelation and then send it back across the sea, which is what he did. You couldn't shut him up. But all the rest, they were killed for, their, for believing in Jesus. And for many, they lose their lives. For many of you in here, you have, it has cost you greatly to follow Jesus. I know the stories of some of you sitting in this room who have family members who won't talk to you because you have put your faith and trust in Jesus. You understand the demand that is on your life. And here's what I just want to encourage you with. It's worth it. It's worth it. Is the cost of believing in Jesus worth it? John chapter 12, 46 through 48. I have come into the world as light that whoever believes in me may not remain 
in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge them, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my word has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. Part of the question, is the cost of believing in Jesus worth it? I want to flip the question. Is the cost of not believing in Jesus worth it? Because here's what Jesus would say. If you don't believe in me, it will cost you your life also. So here's the the thing. You're giving up your life one way or the other. Why? Because we're not kings and we're not gods. There's one God, there's one king, and he invites us to give our lives over to him. And he says in verse 50, if you do, and I know that the command that I'm giving you to, to believe in me is eternal life. You hear that? It's real simple. Is believing in Jesus worth it? Well, what is the receipt? What, is, what do we get? What is our reward? He simply says eternal life. Absolutely, it's worth it. I, I want to encourage us, just kind of in closing, if you want to fill in the blank, here's the fill in the blank. The cost of believing in Jesus is worth it. You probably could have figured it out just by looking at the title of the sermon. No spoiler alert, if you're wondering what I would say at the end of this message to the question, I wouldn't be a preacher if I said Jesus isn't worth it, because he is worth it, and I do believe he's worth it. But I want us to have confidence as Jesus lovingly challenges those leaders who said they believe but aren't willing to tell people about it, aren't willing to allow their lives to change. He's saying you don't really believe. You just say with your mind you think something, but belief will always demand action in your life, and it might cost you, but it's absolutely worth it. I want to encourage you today that believing in Jesus is totally worth it. It's totally worth it. And I don't know how to to defend that other than just as in faith, you live that belief out, you'll find out that it's worth it. You'll find out that being in God's will is so greater than, is far greater than you trying to orchestrate your life yourself. That following God and what he has for you and trusting in him is far greater than what you think. And in a lot of ways we learn that is by trusting in ourselves and seeing where it gets us. And we learn the hard ways. I know I do. But trusting in him is always worth it. Not only is it worth it in eternity, but it's worth it today. You know, we say at New Hope that our mission is that we want to connect people to a life satisfied in Jesus. And what we're saying is, is not just will you get to be with Jesus in eternity, but we believe that you can find full satisfaction in him today. We believe that you, as you surrender your life to him and walk with him and believe in him today, you can receive the reward of just what it means to have a intimate salvation in Jesus. He's worth it. And he's worth it. I can't convince you at the end of the day of this truth, but I trust that the Holy Spirit will reveal it to you as you genuinely ask with your heart, God, are you worth it? And I pray that you find that he is worth it. And I pray that as you answer the question that we started with, Do you believe really in Jesus? And that it demands of your life that you could emphatically go, no matter what it costs me, it's worth it. I believe in Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, we do believe in you. And we do trust you. So Father, I pray that during this time of even response, that we would count the cost 
and we would be able to say it's worth it. That Jesus, no matter what you ask of us, it is always worth it because you are a good father who gives us far greater than anything we could ever give unto you. That you're a good father who's not trying to take from us, but to give to us. Ultimately, eternal life and forgiveness of our sins. But that goodness doesn't stop there. But it plays out into our lives when we trust you. That does not mean that we get everything in our lives we want, but what it does mean is what you have for our lives is better than what we wanted anyways. Trusting in you, following you, believing you is worth it. And so, Jesus, I... I just cry out, personally and honestly, help my unbelief. Because there are parts in my life that's hard sometimes to step off the edge and trust you in. And there have been seasons in my life where I didn't step off the edge. And I just confess that and I could just go, God, but you're worth it. Would you help me in my unbelief? Would you help us in our unbelief? We just give this time to you. We hope today's message was encouraging for you. We'd also love to hear how God used this message to speak to you. You can email us at info at newhopeny.org. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle for those outlets is newhopenyc. Our website is www.newhopeny.org. If you are in the New York City area, we have 4 p.m. worship gatherings on Sundays at 164-2. Gothels Avenue in Jamaica, Queens. We're praying for you, and we hope to see you soon.